Evo qualitative data analysis software empowers researchers around the world to discover rich insights within their qualitative data. This podcast gives you unique insights into the methods, the processes, and the passions of researchers. Welcome to the InVivo podcast, Between the Data. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Stacey Penna, the InVivo Community Director. And today's podcast is with Jenna Koski about her Honors College project presented to the undergraduate faculty of the College of Business at James Madison University. So welcome, Jenna. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Can you please explain the process for your capstone project? I started developing my idea and the project proposal a little over a year ago with the help of my research advisor. I also did a ton of background research on the characteristics of the beauty YouTube community for the literature review. And this was all in the spring of my junior year. The following summer and fall semester, I spent the time collecting and coding my data. And then the analysis part, like creating graphs and summarizing the results, that was the most enjoyable part to me. And when the work really started to come together and the data began telling a story, in the end, I submitted a 58-page research paper to the Honors College at James Madison University. And I had the incredible opportunity to present at the National Conference for Undergraduate Research this past April. Oh, that is really exciting. Great. Mm -hmm, Definitely. (laughs) Why did you choose to study YouTuber comments around beauty on the basis of gender? I knew I wanted to do something within the realm of digital marketing because that's kind of the career path I'm choosing to pursue for after I graduate. I've always been interested in how social media impacts you know, our daily lives, both like psychologically and socially, and you know why people act differently online than they do in real life. So I started watching makeup tutorials and I noticed that People in the comments either tend to be really nice and welcoming, or they are really quick to be influenced by cancel culture and be cruel if that's the way the tide turned. So then the last piece of the puzzle that was missing from my topic area was gender and gender identity and changing gender roles have been really hot topics in the news lately. So this seemed like the perfect way to differentiate my research and you know contribute new information. Yeah, your, I mean, your paper is really good, very detailed. Uh, I, I enjoyed reading it. Thank you. You had you know, key research questions that you had. Can you mm-hmm. tell us those? Yeah, so I was really interested in how gender shapes people's attitudes and perception of beauty. So I had three questions to like guide my research. The first one was, what themes and sentiments are the most prominent in beauty YouTube comments? And do they vary according to the gender of the YouTuber? And second is, does the anonymity of a username impact the sentiment of the user comments? And lastly, how does the gender of the YouTuber affect perceptions of their trustworthiness, expertise, and makeup ability? And what were your research methods to answer those questions? So I developed selection criteria first for the three beauty influencers that I wanted to study. The two criteria that were the most important to me were the level of fame, measured by the number of subscribers and comments, and also the timing of their peak popularity. Once I chose my influencers, I used an online bot that scraped the top comments from 75 videos and exported it into Excel files that could be imported into NVivo then. I ended up with a list of 13 themes, which were used as my nodes, and eight attributes, which were used as cases. I was only interested in the top 25 comments for the top 25 videos for each of the three artists, and this totaled 
close to 2,000 comments in the end. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was able to export data on the comment itself, the usernames, the date it was posted, and number of upvotes and replies. And that was just for the three YouTubers you were looking at, right? Right. I wanted to make sure I was getting in-depth enough, and that's why I chose to only study three of them. Yeah. So it was almost like a case study, really. Exactly. A case yeah. study. Yeah. Can you describe your participants, the three YouTubers? Yeah. So first there's James Charles. He is a cisgender male. Cisgender means that their gender identity matches their sex at birth. And James Charles is one of several male artists to skyrocket to fame beginning around 2016. And he's really well known for his celebrity collaborations, like with Charlie D'Amelio. And he also has a very lucrative brand partnership with the cosmetic brand Morph. And he's also made headlines several times and had a very controversy-filled road to success. So he's probably the most wide known of my three participants. And then there's Nikki Tutorials, and she's a transgender woman from the Netherlands. She started out as a professional makeup artist before turning to YouTube full-time. And she went viral in 2015 with one of her videos. And then most recently in 2020, she came out as transgender after she was blackmailed into telling her secret. She luckily received a lot of support from her fans and subscribers. And then lastly, I had Tati Westbrook. She's a cisgender woman, and she's been called the mother of the YouTube beauty community since she had a relatively early start in 2011. And she's known for her life vlogs, makeup challenges, and like very detailed product reviews. Mm -hmm. Since they're public people, did you have to get permission to research them or because it's on YouTube, you don't have to? No, because it's been posted publicly on YouTube for everybody to see, like that information's, you know, widely available for people to use and study. Okay. Yeah. You sort of explained how you collect your data, but maybe you can go into more detail, like with the bot you used. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I stumbled upon this website because I was looking for a really easy way to be able to export my data into a way that can be easily imported into NVivo. I found this website and it was like only like a $5 subscription for a month. And there's like practically no limit to the amount of data that you can scrape. Like I could have gotten, you know, 10,000 rows in there and I really I only needed the top 25 comments so there was more than I could ever need and it was very inexpensive way to do my research and it was very easy and organized into those excel columns that were extremely you know easy to use when it exported did it also have like I don't know demographic information about the people making the comments no I was only able to get what is also available in the comment section, mm -hmm. I can't was not able to like pull any other demographics mm -hmm. on the commenter, and then mm -hmm. it was kind of left up to my judgment. Is that like their real name, or it's, mm -hmm. it's usually an obvious alias as well? Right. Okay. Interesting. Was there anything else you had to read? I mean, I know you did a lot of literature review too, and I know that's it's a little different than your own data collection. But what did you find with that? Like, how how did you find? articles that were important to your study yeah it's, it was a kind of a process to see what keywords like most likely to find the results that i wanted i looked into like the psychology of makeup what are motivations that women have for using makeup 
And then I tried to find the same information for males and like there's very little research in that area. So that kind of confirmed I, I was like on the right track and I'm providing new information through my research here. And I also like looked into parasocial relationships. And this is like a one-sided relationship where the audience members feel very a personal connection to whoever they're watching. And this has been studied for decades in TV personalities, but there's very little like research on it with social media influencers. So I kind of wanted to figure out why are these parasocial relationships developing? How do they like establish this bond with their audience members? And there's a ton of research on because it's more than just a makeup tutorial, people are, it's like a life log. They share personal life details, you know, opinions and advice, and they kind of turn themselves into like this big sister figure. And that's kind of how they establish that bond and that influence a lot of the themes and the sentiments in my results. Cool. Great. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by LumaVero, developers of Invivo and other software designed by and for data experts to illuminate powerful new insights that help customers make decisions with confidence. If you're looking for a better way to collaborate and share Invivo projects with your colleagues or team, try using Invivo Collaboration Cloud with the 14-day trial. You already mentioned Invivo, so how did you use Invivo to analyze your data? I wanted to compare the prominence of the themes across the three influencers, and the matrix coding query was really helpful in this. I counted how many times I coded that theme, like how many times it appeared in the comments for each artist. And this is a really useful way to like quantify my observations I was having while I was manually coding and reading them. I also examined any like overlaps in themes, like seeing which themes were likely to be presented together. And this gave me a really good starting point to examine the comments in a more unstructured qualitative way. For example, I saw that the laughter and amusement theme occurred very frequently while they were quoting the video. So that led me to use the regular quoting query so I could quickly pull up and examine the comments like on this particular theme combination. How did you learn how to use Invivo? So as part of the research experience for undergraduate program at JMU, my advisor, she tasked me, she wanted to bring Envivo to the university more and give people more exposure because she's found that it's been really useful so far in undergraduate research. So I created like PowerPoints where I was pulling the most useful tutorials on Envivo that were out there and, you know, adding my own comments and notes, see what had helped me and give advice on it. So a practice set, I was analyzing some of the reflection papers that she had assigned to her students at the end of the semester to see what they liked about the course, like what the recommendations were for the course moving forward. So I analyzed these reflection papers for her and that's how I learned how to use it and that transitioned very nicely into when I was beginning this honors capstone project. Hmm, interesting. So you became like the in vivo expert almost? Pretty much. <laughs> in your program? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, I found that too when I was doing my quality of data analysis course. We, yeah, we had, uh, a, who's now a, a trainer, Stuart Robertson, was our in vivo expert. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. What were some of your key findings? I found it really interesting. One of the top comments was making a joke one of the top comments in the YouTube, I think, comment section. So I was just wondering, like, 
first, what are the key ones? And then if you can explain how you figured that one out. Mm -hmm. Making a joke occurred very often and across all three, you know, YouTubers. And this confirmed and was really reflective of the parasocial relationships that I had been studying. And the fact that they feel comfortable making jokes, expressing their laughter and amusement, that's like sharing that they feel like a personal connection with the YouTuber that they're watching. Like I said, this is really due to the vlogging component of the tutorials that just go so far beyond just cosmetics. They really work hard to establish a connection and that transitions like into the commercial realm of influencer marketing as well because they've become the gatekeepers and cosmetic companies like need to get the approval and the support of these influencers to really help sell their products because their fans and subscribers will, you know, before making any purchases, they check to make sure, you know, that their favorite influencer approves it first. So I really found like within, you know, Tati Westbrook, her comments really dominated the desire, nostalgia and suggestion themes. A lot of her users really wanted to provide ideas and what content she should post next. And they felt like they had a voice and an influence over her content. And that influence, you know, went both ways because she had a lot of power over what makeup products her followers bought. And then on the other hand, you know, James's commenters, you know, tended to respond in a more joking, lighthearted manner and just made a ton of jokes. And in my paper, I discussed whether one form of this user-generated content was more valuable to cosmetic companies than the other. What do you think? What did you find? I said they were both extremely valuable because it's really useful for, you know, target market research, you know, studying like the pain points of, you know, the certain segment of the market and seeing what their needs are and really studying the behavior and characteristics of this whole community. So while it might seem that like providing ideas and what content she should post next might be more valuable than just making a joke, there's actually a lot more substance than you might think in these like joking, lighthearted manner comments. Yeah, that's great. And then so and then any other findings that you wanted to share? There's a lot of variation in my, you know, disbelief and makeup compliment theme. It was much higher for James and Nikki than it was for Tati. And, you know, this raises the question of whether their makeup talent is more shocking to people because, you know, James is a man or like more impressive because Nikki was able to, quote unquote, hide the fact that she was born a male for so long. You know, James had the most negative comments. This is it's kind of unsurprising because of the scandals he's involved in. But Nikki's had the most positive amount of comments because she's received an overwhelming, you know, amount of support after she came out. And then users who use an alias had a higher proportion of negative comments than people that use their real name. And this coincide with like previous findings on, you know, online disinhibition effect, how people feel more emboldened, you know, when they're hiding behind a computer screen. So that really confirmed, you know, past studies and it really supports the need for future research as well using more robust statistical methods that, you know, were outside the scope of my study, but it prevents like, you know, lays the groundwork for future researchers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. How do the YouTubers you study establish trust and build community? Yeah, so they all three of them had a slightly, you know, different way of going about this. Nikki, she was all about portraying herself as very genuine and authentic. And she was worried that once she came out as trans, like that people would think she's fake and that she's, you know, 
not the Nikki that they always thought they were. But, you know, the opposite actually happened. And, you know, disclosing that she's trans actually brought her followers closer and they feel like they really got to know her better. So that's one way they really formed trust. And then James, he was able to establish credibility by, you know, featuring a lot of high profile celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Charlie D'Amelio. And that really, you know, boosts his, you know, profile. He also he calls his fans and subscribers sisters. And, you know, this is a you know gendered and familial word. They're establishing closeness, but he used it in a way that he like sisters wasn't just describing, you know, it's just cisgender women. He was using it in a very inclusive way. So that's one way he like overcame the barriers that the cosmetic space is very, you know, predominantly female. So he was able to like make room for himself there and, you know, overcome these barriers. And then lastly, Tati, she did a lot of very detailed product reviews and, you know, her fans viewed her as very objective and just direct and straightforward telling the truth. So for that reason, she had a really strong influence over her followers' cosmetic purchases. Whereas James and Nikki, they pushed the creative boundaries of cosmetics. Nikki was more comfortable in this commercial realm. She also has less followers than they do, which might have led to a more tight-knit community and really allowed her to walk this line between professionalism and being the big sister maternal figure that they thought she was. We'll take a quick break from the episode. To learn more about Jenna's capstone project, please visit the James Madison University College of Business website. I did read also like two of your participants had a disagreement with each other. Yes. Oh, James and Tati have a long history of a feud. Tati was involved in some like serious allegations against James that he was like preying on underage heterosexual men. So he came back and proved his innocence with like actual, you know, proof of text messages, and all of that. And it was this was controversy was spanning over a year, but it was a really prime example of cancel culture because their fans were getting new information like every few weeks. So when, you know, everyone was against James, he would lose millions of subscribers. And then he would come back with a video of his own, like denying all of Tati's claims. And then, you know, people would flock back to him and back and forth. So that definitely bled into the sentiments and themes of the comments a lot. So it's like as YouTube turns or something. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that was really interesting to me. Was that happening partly to get more followers for the other person? Like, or no, it was just a personal. Uh, It's complicated. They used to be extremely close. Like James Mm -hmm. did, you know, Tati's wedding makeup for her. Oh, wow. He like saw her as a mother figure as well in his life. And then it might've started when James was like promoting one of Tati's competitors products because she launched her own like vitamin supplement brand. Mm -hmm. So that kind of could have been where it began. And then Tati said she had these other two makeup influencers in her ear, like telling her she needs to like go against James. So it was this long, messy, controversial, you know, history between them. Interesting. (laughs) I found that interesting. And what are the commercial implications and opportunities for growing uh, YouTuber communities? Mm Mm-hmm. Sort of along the same lines, what I was saying before is the whole world has changed. It's not just, you know, the cosmetic industry. Nowadays, like people really respect the opinions of both 
like their friends, but also like opinion leaders, like influencers, and they view them as more trustworthy than, you know, the own marketing materials of the companies. So companies need to align themselves with someone that they think represents their brand well. So that's one way, you know, they can use these beauty influencers to really boost their brand and drive sales. And, you know, they can also just do a lot of target market research. They can see what trends are in by reading the comments, identify different pain points. Like, for example, under Tati's videos, you know, people are complaining about the lack of affordable cosmetic products and the lack of diverse foundation shades. So if cosmetic companies are able to come in here, they can read this and they know what gaps are in the market and what, you know, needs are unmet by their target audience and they can, you know, respond accordingly. And then lastly, you know, as James Charles exemplifies, there's a growth of men as a potential target market. In some of my preliminary research, like I discovered men are caring a lot more about their, you know, personal hygiene and appearance than they ever have in the past. And that has led to increase in sales of all these personal hygiene products like targeted towards men. So there's definitely an opportunity there for these, you know, companies to take advantage of. So James is mostly marketing. But he's marketing more to women with it. But do you think it could yes. be a crossover to for him to market to men or is he is it both? He's just more of a leader that, you know, cosmetics doesn't have to be strictly for females. Yeah. Like their needs, like men and women's needs in the cosmetic space may be similar, but there's also ways like differentiate them as well. And he just mm-hmm. made the space way more inclusive than it ever had in the past. Well, that's cool. So my last question is, what's one piece of advice you would give an undergraduate researcher conducting qualitative research? I would say, you know, finding something that you're really passionate about in the research process will be much more enjoyable and go smoother. Also, recommend starting early and pacing yourselves so that you're not feeling overwhelmed towards the end. So I just want to thank you, Jenna, for talking with us. And thanks for those tuning in. Listeners, if you enjoyed learning more about the influence and community of beauty YouTubers from this episode, we'd appreciate your support by rating and subscribing to the InVivo podcast. This helps us to share these amazing narratives with a research community. So thank you, Jenna. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for Between the Data. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more about InVivo podcasts and community events, please visit go.invivobyqsr.com slash community or email me, Stacy Penna, at s.penna, P-E-N-N-A, at qsrinternational.com.